About 15 years ago, I had this incredible opportunity. Uh, a buddy of mine that we actually worked together with a college ministry, his dad was a Hall of Fame lineman for the Oakland Raiders. And we were gonna have a men's group that was gonna get together. And so we decided that we were gonna meet in Oakland and we were gonna go to a Monday night football game between the Raiders and the Broncos. How awesome was that? But I had no idea exactly what that day was gonna entail as we went to the game. First of all, his dad took us to the training facility of the Oakland Raiders. As we get out of the car, start walking in to the, through the parking lot into the facility, guess who walks out? You have no idea, do you? Jerry Rice. He introduces me to Jerry. And if you don't know who Jerry Rice is, you need to follow football a little bit more. Hall of Famer, one of the greatest ever wide receivers, met Jerry Rice. Then we get into the Silver Suburban, one of the Oakland Raider vehicles, and we start heading toward the game. And as we start getting close to the stadium, I can see the stadium out there, but traffic just comes to a standstill. And I'm just thinking, how in the world are we ever even going to be able to get there by game time in this traffic? Well, it doesn't take long before someone sees this silver suburban that I am sitting in and they start waving us on. They create a lane for us and they wave us. We go by everybody and we go in right in front of the stadium and these gates open up. You can't see inside, but these gates open up and there's this parking lot with the nicest cars you've ever seen. Players parking lot. That's where we get to go. So then when we head into the stadium, he puts this credential over my neck, and as I'm walking in, I don't know exactly what it is that we're gonna do, but we go through this incredible stadium and we start making our way down toward the front. And I'm thinking, how good are our seats gonna be? So we're walking down the steps, walking down the steps. We're walking by all the, I mean, they're crazy. They're crazy fans in Oakland. They're dressed, I mean, it's like Halloween every day at an Oakland Raider football game. But we go by everyone. We get to the very edge of the stadium. They open up a gate and we walk down onto the sidelines. I'm standing on the sidelines before the Oakland Raider football game. You know what? Those dudes are big. I don't know if you knew that. Those guys are big. So I'm sitting there and I'm looking around. It was just incredible. I'm just kind of awestruck, starstruck. Over there, kind of on this side, you know who's over there? My boy Tom Hanks. Didn't know me, but uh, I saw him. Kind of, I think we made a little eye contact, something like that. I was just start. I couldn't believe. Here I am, standing on the sidelines of an NFL football game. The only thing I could think to do is, I've got to call somebody. I've got to tell somebody, you're never going to believe where I'm at right now. So I got out my flip phone 15 years ago, just... For you that are younger, did you know that there was a time that phones didn't take pictures? They didn't, t- they didn't even send texts. All you could do was call. So I was calling anyone I could think of. You're never going to believe where I'm at. It was so fun to tell people. When something exciting happens to us, one of our natural responses is we want to tell someone. We want to let other people know about it. As we continue through the book of Acts and we move into Acts chapter four today in this series that we're calling a movement of misfits, that's exactly what we see happen with these early followers of Jesus. After the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit is poured out, God's power in his presence comes into the life of these believers. They're experiencing new life in Jesus. Their response is that they want 
to tell people. They want to be a part of this domino effect of taking this great message, the greatest message that's ever been announced. They want people to know it. And that spirit, that spirit that was poured out into them, a couple things that we've seen so far is that spirit was a spirit of unity. It knit their hearts together. It tied these people from incredibly diverse backgrounds. It tied them together into a family. But it wasn't just about them being a family, but it also tied them in to a mission. They were taking this message to the world. It was magnetic. It pulled people in, but it was also expansive. The heart was for it to always go to the world. So we're going to look today a little bit about what marked this domino effect in the lives of these new believers. Three things that we're going to look at today. What was their message? What was the central message that they shared? And I want us to look at what was the messenger like? What kind of messenger did God use to bring that message? And lastly, I want us to take a little bit of time to be really practical and think, what are the methods? What are some things that they did to bring this message to life in the lives of others? And maybe just to give a little context for where we're at here in Acts chapter four, Peter and John, by the power of God, have just seen a man healed. And this has caught the crowd's attention. Thousands of people are continuing to follow Jesus. They are hearing the message and they're following Jesus. But there is resistance to this message. The religious leaders are saying, uh-uh, we're not gonna allow this. We're trying to, they're trying to shut them up. And so Peter and John actually get put in jail for the night. And where we pick up here in Acts chapter four is the religious leaders confronting Peter and John after a night in jail, Acts chapter four, verse seven. It says, they brought in the two disciples and demanded, by what power or in whose name have you done this? A way to understand the question that they're asking is, who gave you a license to do this? What is your credentials to be able to speak? What is your authority? And then Peter responds, and it says that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And when we hear that word filled, I want you to think directed and empowered. That presence of God was speaking to him, nudging him, leading his life, empowering him to do what it is that God wanted him to do. And here's how Peter responds. He says, rulers and elders of our people, are we being questioned today because we've done some good deed for a crippled man? Do you wanna know how he was healed? Let me clearly state to all of you and all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene. Here's what Peter says. The man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. For Jesus is the one, in, Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says, the stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. Shorthand of saying he's the Messiah. He's the one you've been waiting for. But then Peter says this in verse 12. Not necessarily a very popular verse. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Just want to leave that up there. Just for a second, I want to let the words of verse 12 kind of wash over our mind for just a few seconds. 
Let me read it again. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. I've got to admit, in our culture, that is a challenging verse for people to hear. Because I bet there are people, maybe many of you in this audience right now, that even as I read that, there's something inside you that cringes. And you say, that just seems so narrow. That just seems so intolerant. No other name, no other way. That just seems so exclusive. And in our culture today, anything that sounds exclusive, any whiff of that is like a stench in the nostrils of our culture. But I've got to tell you, it was a stench in the nostrils of every person that was sitting there that heard Peter say that that day. Because they lived in as just as polytheistic, morally relativistic world as we do today. They recognized any manner of gods. And worshiping any one of them was just as good as the next. And if Jesus, if the message of Jesus was that they wanted to just clear a little place on the shelf and put Jesus on there with all the other gods, there would have been very little resistance to this message. But that was not the message of Jesus. That was not the message of Peter. Peter was saying, friends, what we need to do is we need to clear the shelf of all of these other gods. And Jesus is central. There is no other name under heaven by which someone must be saved. Exclusive claims. This wasn't new. Jesus had said those exact same things as he taught in the Gospels. John 14, 6, Jesus simply says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. So friends, if we're going to be followers of Jesus, if we're going to take the word of God seriously, we can't pretend that the message of Jesus and that the message of this early church that is launched at the beginning of the book of Acts, we can't pretend that it wasn't exclusive. But here's what I want us to think about today. I want us to think about why. Why was this message that was exclusive, that was repulsive and repugnant to the people that heard that message that day, why then did so many people believe? Why did so many people jump at the chance? How did this movement, my friends, ever get off the ground? How did they ever over, overcome the cultural resistance to this exclusive message? Here's what I want us to think about. This message of Jesus, the message had claims that were exclusive, but, this, but the people, this movement had a radically inclusive community. Here's what I would say. Here's how I would try to say it. As a, it's a paradox, really. For the genuine follower of Jesus, this radically exclusive claim, this radically exclusive claim of Jesus makes us radically inclusive people. Why? This radically inclusive message, it shares the heart of God. God's heart was for everybody. And this message pulled everybody together. Jews and Gentiles, up to that point that had been like oil and water, pulled them together into a family. Men and women, level playing field. Women elevated in ways that they had never previously been elevated. 
rich and poor, pulled together. And it wasn't just that they were together physically and that they were friends, but the rich actually started to take care of the poor. They started to meet the needs of one another, the educated and the uneducated. Everyone was together. It was radically inclusive. And that's what was so attractive to the world. They couldn't explain it and they couldn't stop it. Because this message of the gospel, in so many ways, most religions, almost all religions will say, this is what you need to do. This is what you need to do to be accepted by God. But as we hear Peter preach this message in Acts chapter two, this message of the gospel, the people responded and they actually asked that very question. It says that the Holy Spirit started to speak to their hearts. It said they were cut to the heart. Something was happening in them. The truth of this was penetrating their hearts. And their response was, what do we need to do in order to be saved? Because that was their knee-jerk response to any other religion, to any other God. What is it that you do? But the message of the gospel that Peter talked about was so different. It wasn't about what you do. It was about what God has done. It's about what Jesus has done, what he accomplished for us in our place on the cross. To accept, to become a follower of Jesus. It wasn't about doing something. It was about simply receiving something. The way that Peter described this, he says you receive it by repenting and believing. Repenting meaning we change our mind and we change our direction. Instead of trying to be our own savior in this world, to do things to make us acceptable to God, we put our faith and our trust in what God has done for us. We repent and we believe. We simply receive a gift. And here's what happens. When that becomes the mindset of a movement of people, they began to understand that the ground was completely level at the foot of the cross. Nobody had an advantage over another person. It didn't matter whether you were rich or you were poor, whether you were educated or uneducated, male or female, Jew or Gentile. Everyone had the same need before God. And you know what that did to these messengers? It made them incredibly humble. Incredibly humble. Because when you know that there's nothing that I can do to work for or earn or gain God's favor, but only what he's done for me, it puts you in a place of humility. And that's why these early followers of Jesus were so inclusive because they knew that they didn't have anything on anyone. The humble were humbly presenting the message of Jesus and inviting people into this community. They didn't use coercion. They didn't use oppression. They didn't use power in some way to try to leverage people to try to believe what they believed. They didn't leverage power, friends, because they had none. They knew we are the bottom of the barrel. We're only here because of what God has done for us. And that made them radically, radically inclusive, even though the message itself was exclusive. Jesus is the way. You know what was powerful about this first community? They lived this out. They lived this out with power. When you look at some of the writings of the early church fathers and even the early historians at that time, people just said, I don't know that I agree with everything that they're saying, but look at their lives. 
Look at how they love one another. Look at how they care for people that aren't even a part of their community. There's something going on here. They lived what they believed. There wasn't a gap between what they said they believed and their behavior. It was one. That's what made it so powerful and irresistible. Friends, I long, I long for that to be the day that that is what is said of the church in America. Journey church. That people, whether they believe what we believe or not, that they would look in and say, look at their lives. Look at how they love one another. Look at how they care for people in their community that aren't even a part of their church. It's powerful and it's irresistible, even if the claims are exclusive. This exclusive claims created the most inclusive community that the world had ever seen. That was their message. But I want us to think a little bit about the messengers. What was true of the messengers that God used to bring this greatest news ever announced? Here's how the scriptures talk about those first messengers as we continue in Acts chapter four, verse 13. It says, the members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were, what? Ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. But they also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. So there they are, these bold people proclaiming the gospel, but the religious leaders, they feel stuck because this incredible miracle has happened. People are moving toward them, becoming a part of this movement of misfits, but they're doing everything they can to try to squelch it. So they say, no more Jesus talk. You can't talk about Jesus anymore. But here's how Peter responds with incredible boldness. Verse 19, but Peter and John replied, do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. I want us to just take a couple minutes to think about two descriptions of these early followers. One, unschooled and ordinary. I think if Luke were writing today, he would say these are just regular old Joe six-pack types of people. They were unschooled and ordinary, but Luke says they were courageous. And this is what was so confounding to the religious leaders. How is it? How is it that such boldness can arise from people that have no training whatsoever, no credentials whatsoever, and they're standing in front of the elite and they're speaking with great boldness. What is going on with them? But they weren't dumb. They knew that there was a common denominator. They knew that there was a prerequisite of all these people that were making a difference with this message of Jesus. And this was the common denominator. These men had been with Jesus. They'd been with him. What happens to people that spend time, genuinely spend time with Jesus? They start to become like him. His values become their values. His vision for the world becomes their vision for the world. And you know what gives me hope? Unschooled, ordinary people are who God uses. Yeah, he uses the PhDs like Paul, but you know what? 
He uses the GEDs, like Peter and John. He uses the prominent doctor named Luke who wrote this book of Acts that we're reading right now. You know what else he used to write this book? Matthew, a despised tax collector. God can use anyone that spends time with Jesus. You see this message? Although it was exclusive, this message was for everyone. But God wants us to know that everyone has the opportunity to be the messenger. God wants to use us. And these people were courageous. What is it that made these people so courageous? We can't forget, can we, that if we just rewind the tape, about 100 days, Peter is warming his hands by a fire, and a little servant girl walks up to him and says, you were with him, you know him. And Peter begins to call down curses and say, I don't even know what you're talking about. I don't even know him. Peter knows what it's like to cower in fear when a little girl confronts him. And now about 100 days later, he's standing in front of the very people that took Jesus to the cross and nailed him there. And if they will nail Jesus to the cross, Peter knows they won't even blink and they will send him to the cross. But he is standing there and preaching with courage. What gave him courage? Yes, the Holy Spirit, the indwelling Holy Spirit. We've talked about that. That's so important. But you know what else gave these men and women courage? There was something that they saw, something that they saw, something that they touched, something that they experienced. It was the resurrected Jesus, their savior that they had saw die, buried, watched him raised again. It changed their life. It changed their mind. Following the resurrection of Jesus, he didn't give them a new message, but he just proved to them, I'm alive and once these people began to realize Jesus is who he claimed to be, he is the one who conquered death. He is the first fruits of the resurrection. That meaning that we can have a resurrected life as well. It changed their life. It gave them incredible boldness. As we think about the message that was on the heart of these messengers, it wasn't about rules. Just read through the book of Acts. Listen to every sermon that is preached in the book of Acts, when the gospel is preached. They don't preach rules, they preach resurrection. Jesus is alive. And friends, as we, if we want to be people of the message, that needs to be central in our messages. Did Jesus rise from the dead? It's the centerpiece of everything that we believe. If you find yourself in a gospel conversation, and you're talking about politics or you're talking about the age of the earth, change lanes. You're on a peripheral lane. Listen to the rumble strips of that conversation and get to the center lane. Resurrection. Did Jesus rise from the dead or not? Paul would say it's the only question that we need to ask and answer. This is how Paul said it. Because he said, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, friends, we've got nothing to say to the world around us. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 17. He says, and if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still 
guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. The centerpiece of the resurrection. Did Jesus rise from the dead? It was central to their message. And Paul would say, People are looking in here. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we should be pitied above all. People should just shake their head and feel sorry for us. But if Jesus did rise from the dead, it is a game changer for all of us. It was the centerpiece of their message. Lastly, I want us to get really practical for a second. This was their message. This was the heart of these messages. God used ordinary, courageous people to take his message to the Lord. But how did they do it? What are some of the things that we can learn in terms of how we can be people of the message? I want us to look at something that the Apostle Paul shared. At at this point in the story, the Apostle Paul, he is still persecuting Christians. He's not even on the team yet. But in a couple of pages, we're gonna turn and we're gonna see that he meets the resurrected Jesus and it transforms his life And he becomes one of the greatest messengers of this message that the world has ever known. We need to listen to Paul's words on how do we do this. This is how he describes it. Colossians chapter four and verse two. He says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And then he says this, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. And then Paul says this, be wise in the way that you act toward outsiders, meaning people outside of the faith. He says, make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, meaning kindness, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. We could talk a lot about what Paul unpacks here, but a couple things I want us to think about. Paul helps us understand that God is the one that opens the doors for our message. God is the only one that has access to the hearts of people and that can move in them and change them from the inside out. God is the one who can do And that's why Paul says, pray. Pray about people. Talk to God about people before we talk to people about God. Ask God for discernment. Ask God where it is that he's at work. Because if we take this passage seriously, we know that God is at work. There are opportunities around us. This is how Jesus explained it in John chapter 6. He says, for no one can come to me unless the father who sent them draws them to me. And at the last day, I will raise them up. This should be great news to us as we think about being people of the message. Because this just takes all the pressure off of us. We don't have to change someone's life. We don't have to move their heart. God is the one that do. It's only God drawing someone. But here, friends, is what we need to do. We need to be discerning to know where God is working. 
Where is God at work? If Paul is talking about there being opportunities everywhere, how do we see the opportunities that are around us? That's why I think, I want us to think about our lives and our ministry in this way. Think about an antenna. Paul is saying on one side of the antenna, we've got to have one antenna or one of our ears to God. That we are praying to him and we are listening to him for his nudges. God, where is it in this world that you're at work in the lives of people? Help us to see that. Here's what I wanna say, a warning. Don't think that you know what is happening on the inside of a person's life based on the things that you see on the outside. And when I say on the outside, I'm talking about outward behaviors. As I was reflecting on this, I was thinking about my own life and how grateful I am that those who brought the message to me when I was a college student didn't look at the outside of my life the things that I was doing with my life, the decisions that I was making. Because they could have looked at that and just said, whoa, man, I don't know a lot, but I know it doesn't look like that guy's interested in God. Looks like he's interested in chasing a lot of other things. That's what they saw on the outside. But what they didn't see on the inside was someone that would lay in their bed at night, staring at the ceiling, feeling like he was being crushed by the weight of fear and insecurity and wondering like, what is this life all about? Everyone's telling me that college is the best time in life and if this is the best that it is, I'm not looking forward to the rest of it. I'm so thankful that they didn't look at the outside, but they were willing to pursue me and ask some questions so that they could know what was happening on the inside. And that's the second antenna. We talk to God and we listen to him, but we also talk to people and we listen to them. And I'm gonna say this word over and over. Can we learn to listen? Listen to God and listen to people. I'm gonna give you an assignment before the day is over. And here's what I want. Pressure is off. I'm not gonna ask you to say anything to anyone about the message of God. Pressure off. But here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. Would you begin to build a holy curiosity in your mind about what is happening underneath the surface in people's life. Begin to learn to ask questions and listen. Listen to God, but listen to people. The greatest tool that you have, in my opinion, to be a messenger of this message that Jesus gives is to be a person who asks questions and listens. Because friends, that's where you're gonna find where God is at work. Ask questions. Let me just give you this thought as well. This has been helpful for me. As I think about someone that God maybe nudges me toward, I will just ask something very simple like this. You know, my faith is very important to me and you're very important to me. I would love to talk with you about that. Would you be willing to do that? And then I put this word in there, sometime. I'm not gonna accost you right now. I'm not gonna say anything to you, but would you be willing to talk to me? Would you be willing to talk about that sometime? Just ask permission. And, and I don't want to make it sound like every time I've ever asked that, everybody's just say like, oh, absolutely, I would love to. Sometimes they do, but oftentimes they just say, no, I'd really rather that you didn't. But then I know what is happening underneath the surface in their life. And if they are interested, then I can ask more questions and listen. 
This is why questions, my friends, I believe are so important. Let's, let's just imagine, let's just think right now. Someone texts you and says, I need directions to the commons. How do I get there? What's the first question that you need to ask? You need to ask, well, where are you? Because if you just started giving directions and you don't know where they're at, you're not gonna be able to get them here. In the same way, if we don't know, if we don't understand where people are at on their spiritual journey, we don't know where to help them, where to move them toward God. Ask questions. And I wanna just read a couple of questions that I've found very helpful. If any of these resonate with you, just jot it down on your notes or just remember it as a question that you could ask others to find out where in the world they are on their spiritual journey. Probably my favorite and my go-to move all the time is this simple question. Can you tell me a little bit about your spiritual background? Just a wide open question, but it gives the opportunity for them to explain anything in terms of where they are with God. Another question, do you personally believe in God? Why or why not? What do you think God is like? What words would you use to describe your spiritual life today? Would you say that you're moving toward God, away from God, or staying about the same? If it were possible to know God personally, would you want to? Friends, we've got to be people who pray, ask God for those open doors, like Paul talked about, but we've gotta be people who ask questions and listen. Listen to people. Talk to God about people before you talk to people about God. Listen to them. I wanna close with a video. When I saw this video a handful of years ago, it kind of rocked my world. It's a video, it's, it's kind of a homespun video. I can tell that he's just doing it at his computer. Uh, but a man named Pendulette, you might know that name from, he's a part of a comedian illusionist act in Vegas called Penn and Teller. Very outspoken atheist. But in this video, he talks about an encounter that he had with a follower of Jesus after one of his shows. Let's watch this video together. I want to talk to you about this. Uh, I get home from the show, and at the end of the show, as I've mentioned before, we go out and we, uh, we talk to folks and, you know, sign an occasional autograph and shake hands and so on. And there was one guy waiting over to the side in the, um, what I call the hover position after I was all done, big guy, probably about my age. Big guy. And um, he had been the, um, the guy who has, uh, picks the joke during our psychic comedian section of the show. Uh, so he had the props from that in his hand because we'd give those away. He had the, you know, the joke book and the, and the envelope and the paper and stuff. If you haven't seen the live show, I, uh, it's not worth explaining. But he had props from the show that we'd given him from the night before. Uh, he wasn't the guy that night. And he walked over to me and he said, um, I was here last night at the show and uh, uh, I saw the show and I liked it. I wanted, and he was very complimentary about my use of language and um, complimentary about, you know, honesty and stuff. He said nice stuff. No reason to go into it. He said nice stuff. And then he said, I brought this for you. And he handed me a uh, Gideon pocket edition. Um, 
I thought it said from the New Testament, but I also thought it was Psalms from the New Testament, right? Or, uh, Psalms from the New, just part of the New Testament. Little book about this big, this thick, you know. He said, I wrote in the front of it, and I wanted you to have this. I'm kind of uh, proselytizing. And then he said, I'm a businessman. I'm, I'm sane. I'm not crazy. And he looked me right in the eye and did all of this. And uh, it was really wonderful. I believe he knew that I was an atheist. But he was not uh, defensive, and he looked me right in the eyes. And he was truly complimentary. It wasn't in any way, it didn't seem like empty flattery. He was really kind and nice and sane and looked me in the eyes and talked to me and then gave me this Bible. And I've always said, you know, that I, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. And I've always thought that, and I've written about that, and I've thought of it conceptually. This guy was a really good guy. He was polite and honest and sane, and he cared enough about me to proselytize and give me a, a Bible, which had written in it a little note to me, uh, not very personal, but just, you know, like to show and so on. And then like five phone numbers for him and an email address if I wanted to get in touch. Now, I know there's no God, and one polite person living his life right doesn't change that. Uh, but I'll tell you, he was a very, very, very good man. And uh, that's really important. And with that kind of goodness, uh, it's okay to have that deep of a disagreement. I still think that religion does a lot of bad stuff, but man, that was a good man who gave you that book. That's all I wanted to say. To me, it's just chilling to think of someone that, obviously a very outspoken atheist, but has enough clarity of mind and thought to say something that's so penetrating. How much do you have to hate somebody to not tell them about what you believe if you think that it really matters? And I love how he described this guy. He was kind. I mean, how many times did he say the guy was sane? Because I know that people act insane all the time when they try to have these conversations. But he was just very normal and genuine. Now, it obviously, it didn't change Pendulette's future. But I just think I want to be 
that kind of guy that would be willing to say what I think is true, to create an opportunity, to create an open door, pray to God that there would be open doors and see the opportunities that God has before us. Friends, what are those opportunities in your life? Who are those people around you? As I pray, I'm just gonna ask even that God would bring somebody to your mind and that he would stir in you enough holy curiosity to at least ask a question of them. Ask for permission, but ask a question. Where are you at in your spiritual life right now? Let's pray. God, we just wanna say that it is an incredible privilege that we've come to know you. God, it is also an incredible privilege that you and your sovereignty have chosen to make your kids, your children, your spokespeople in the world. God, we wanna do that well. We want to make the message clear. We want to lift you up in ways that people would be able to see your beauty and how attractive you are. God, thank you that the gospel is beautiful because it's not what we do to make ourselves acceptable to you. It's what you've done for us. God, I pray that we would rest on that, that that would be the bedrock of our life and that would be the springboard for us to be messengers of this great news. God, we love you and we trust you. Jesus, in your name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net slash give. Thanks.